You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Hey everybody, thanks for joining us. Also joining us today, live in the glamorous podcast studios, Mistress Matisse. Thank you for having me, Dan. I'm very glad to be here in this really sexy, sexy room. Our beautiful view of Elliott Bay. It's gorgeous. The sun is out and it's a gorgeous day. (laughs) So it's been a while since you've been on. I know. I thought you didn't love me anymore. No, we totally love you. I'm glad to be here. Just uh, things get so crazy and we have to schedule podcasts, catch as catch can, and then a year goes by. Impossible, but yes, glad to be here. So, for uh, people out there who may not have caught a podcast that you were on before, you are a. I am many things. I am a professional dominatrix. Uh, I so I'm a really kinky person generally, and I'm. And you managed to make a career out of it. Yeah, which still kind of I get up every day and think, wow, I'm doing this, and this is just the coolest thing in the world. Uh, so yeah, I've been a dominatrix for oh, 13 years, I think. And so. that's something we have in common, not being dominatrix I, yeah, but every day I get up and life. think, I get to do this ridiculously fun thing for a living. Yeah, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? You and I have known each other a long time. We're like, right, we used to live in ratty little apartments, and <laughs> we still kind of do, but you know, it's all better now. So. Well, I sleep here in the Glabrous Podcast Studios because someone Nice right. <laughs> uh, so you're going to take some calls with us today about uh, questions from the Savage Lovecasters about their SM pursuits. I'm hoping for some really juicy, kinky stuff. We yeah. got some really juicy calls lined up for you right Sweet. after this. This episode is sponsored by ExtremeRestraints.com, the ultimate fetish store. Get 10% off their selection of fine sex toys, bondage gear, fucking machines, electrosex, and so much more. Just enter the coupon code PONY at checkout. What's more, use that PONY coupon before Friday, February 18th, and they'll double that discount. ExtremeRestraints.com. Hi, Dan. I'm a 22-year-old, mostly straight female. I have only ever had a couple of very limited sexual encounters, and I've never actually had a real romantic relationship, and I don't know where to begin. I just finished college, and I feel like I've wasted my time, because college is supposed to be where people have lots of sex and develop their skills and learn not to be completely and utterly awkward about it. But instead of meeting people and having lots of sex, I just sat around and watched everyone else around me meet people and have lots of sex. This is hard because I spent a lot of time around a lot of very promiscuous people, and they made it look really easy, which for me it wasn't. Now the problem is that I'm back at home in a big city, and I feel completely lost and alone, and I have no idea what to do. I don't know how to meet people or have a relationship, even though I know that there are tons of people all around me. And even if I did wind up meeting somebody, I don't know what to do. I'm a very outspoken person, except when it comes to people I'm interested in, and then I become really shy, and I have no idea what to say or do, and I probably come off as uninterested. The other thing is that, although I'm inexperienced, I know that I'm pretty kinky. Specifically, I want to be submissive to somebody or a bottom or what have you. Um, I masturbate a lot, and it's always to BDSM porn. And one of the things I've considered, since I don't know how to meet people and I'm interested in BDSM, was to attempt to find a munch, which is supposed to be a casual place where people, where new people can go. But I'm not sure if that's a good idea, because I don't really have any experience with anything, and I thought that maybe I should try to gain some basic sexual experience before starting to explore BDSM, where people are having what you call varsity-level sex. but I thought maybe people there would just be nice, friendly people who could help me figure things out. I don't know what to do. I'm really lost. Please help me, Dan. 
First thing I want to address is this idea that she wasted her time at college because she didn't fuck. <laughs> I, I kind of love that given that all I did in college was fuck and didn't actually get an education. I got an education that didn't do too much fucking at college. I think you should strike a balance between education and fucking. But if you got an education and you didn't fuck, you still did what you're supposed to do at college primarily. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think you did right there. Yes, so now you can start fucking now that you have the education. And you're out of college. Uh, one thing I want to really address with you, I want to ask you a question, put you on the spot. Awkward, she says she's awkward uh-huh. and she's kinky. Uh-huh. There's some overlap in the awkward and kink communities, is there not? Um, well, I think so, given – I mean, I've never really been not kinky. But, I mean, yeah, everyone's awkward when you're, when you're young. When you're 20s, it's just a given. I don't, I'm not sure it ever goes away. But, yeah, the, the nerdy, awkward, geek connection is strong, very strong. And I, we've talked about this before, and people always just light up. I'm like, yeah, all the nerds, all the smart people, very kinky. And so you shouldn't feel awkward about the fact that you are kinky and awkward. Most kinky people are – Right. And, and perhaps partly because they're kinky. They, they, it creates a little bit more self-consciousness about your mm-hmm. desires. They're a little bit harder to explain and unpack. Yeah. You fear rejection more because vanilla people are going to freak out and run screaming. Right. It's very true. So, you know, it's like, can you quote Joss Whedon? Can, have you ever been to a Ren Fair? Have you been to <laughs> – you, you know, if you have some, like, nerd cred, then you will probably fit in just fine and you won't be awkward with those people. So don't feel awkward about being awkward in the kink community because there's lots of awkward folks. We are all about the awkward, yeah. And you'll meet people who were once awkward and once felt awkward and now oh. are comfortable and fine with it and they will – empathize. Dear God, I still feel awkward a lot of the time. So, yeah. So, this girl is one of these people It's like, you know what to do. You just want us to tell you that that's what to do. So, yes, you need to go to a munch. It is a very low-pressure environment. You're just going to sit around and talk to people and nothing as bad is going to happen to you and no one gets... There's no way you can explore BDSM without actually doing BDSM. So, (laughs) if you haven't done it, then that's right. You haven't done it and we all started somewhere. Yeah, but this idea, though, that she has that she needs to get gain some experience before she goes to this environment that is specifically designed for the inexperienced to find their way into the kink community. Right. That's what a munch is. Yeah. Nobody goes to a munch because they want to be impressed. You don't have to worry about impressing everyone at the munch with your knowledge, experience, anything. You just have no. to go. No. And actually, people go because they like to meet new people and kind of, you know. Welcome them in, shall we say. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, that is Rope them in. predatory. Yeah, it's not like that. Rope them in, so to speak. So, no, I think, you know, get on FetLife. Talk to people. I mean, if you want to talk to people, like, online for a while to kind of learn some lingo and stuff, then you can. But, you know, just just go. Nothing's going to happen. It's bad. You'll just go. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 23-year-old girl, and I have a complicated and depressing issue. Um. I have to preface this by saying that I'm kinky, I'm submissive, and I figured it out a couple years ago, but I I don't have very much experience. Um, About a year ago, I met somebody that I had been friends with online for five years, Um, you know, went through sort of phases of talking all the time and talking on the phone and then not talking for a while and, you know... um, just, you know, it, it was weird and it, it was sort of embarrassing because it was really intense and, you know, like we, I felt like I could talk to him about, you know, lots of things. And so over the course of the years, you know, we got to know each other pretty well. Um, and I met him and finally, and we started going out 
and he was the first person that I really, um, like in a relationship, started doing that stuff with, the kinky stuff. And then it was three months, and it became sort of like a hostage. Um, you know, he wouldn't leave, and I would just stay at mine. I never got to meet him. He was friends. I never went to his house. And, you know, eventually it turned out, of course, that the whole thing was just made up. And I, I knew it. I must have. Like, everything that he had told me, you know, his age, his family was all made up and it was all designed sort of around my responses and manipulating me and like putting me exactly where he wanted me. And I feel so violated and like I've been raped. I mean, literally everything was, was a lie. And like he, you know, he told me his mother had killed himself. He killed herself. She like, he would just make stuff up to make me feel sorry for him. You know, he would, he like wouldn't let me go anywhere, and I we would fight, and he was so horrible. But then he would just you know say he was so good at it. He would say anything. He met all my friends, and you know my family. Like he was, he just became this part of my life, and it was really intense for that time. And you know I did, I, I don't know. And then of course, and, and I knew it was weird, and there was something wrong. And I finally checked his emails after that time, and you know figured out and chucked him out, and. And that was that. Um, but it was just terrifying and like and humiliating. And he and I just, you know, it's been almost a year, but I have flashbacks and nightmares. And I'm seeing a therapist. And I know that it'll take a long time to like get over sort of the trust and just the like intense shame and the fact that I let somebody do this to me. And I don't know how I'm going to ever do, you know, have the sex that I want to have because I'm going to associate it with him. And I feel like, you know, I'm 23 and I'm not any closer to, like, to meeting people. And I don't even want to. I'm just scared of guys. And I don't know what to do because I don't want to waste, like, the years of my life that I should be going out and having fun and meeting people. And I, and I don't want to wake up every day and, you know, just feel so disgusting. I mean, I think about it and I just want to tear my... I don't know, just like crawl out of my skin and it's just so, I don't know. I don't know if you can help me. You probably can't. I, I just can't even imagine being in a place where I could ever have a sexual or romantic relationship again because I just feel like I'm so fucked up. So if you have any advice, um, I'd love it. <laughs> and, you know, how I can do the kinky sex that I want without having some sort of like spaz flashback freak out and, you know, ruining it for life. Wow. That's really intense. Um, and I really wish I could talk to that girl. I mean, in, in real time, but that's really intense. And I have had a relationship with a man who was emotionally abusive and manipulative in that way. And the first thing I really want to tell you is just to forgive yourself. Because I know you think, I should have known, I should have seen, I should have figured this out, I should have, should have, should have. Let it go and forgive yourself because it can happen to anybody. It can happen to, happen to me, it happens to lots of women. There are manipulative, bad people in the world and sometimes they get you. And she needs to start giving herself some credit. Yeah. She was only with him for three months. She kicked him the fuck out of the apartment. Yeah. There are people who wind up – and I'm not saying this in a way now to like heap scorn and people who wind up in long-term abusive relationships. But there are people who are with people for 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years yeah. in an abusive relationship who don't 
ever find the courage to do what you did right. by showing this motherfucker the door. That's right. So three months, 12 weeks yeah. from letting him into your life to kicking the fuck out of your life. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. And then you started talking to this guy when you were pretty young by my calculation. So you were young and you're still very young and you're vulnerable. But you wised up quickly and kicked him the fuck out. And so you're smart and you're spunky and forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. And so now you got to move on. The question for her, though, and I think she's really terrified of this, is this was the first guy she explored kinky sex with. And he ended up using it as a tool perhaps to manipulate and abuse her, uh, exploiting her submissive sexual interests to get her to you know, submit to him in this relationship and, and put up with him and his abuse and his lies. And how does she then separate her desire for kinky sex from this bad relationship and also not view it as this way that other guys are going to come along and manipulate and abuse her? Well, you learn to, to set boundaries and you learn – this is part of being in the kink community that I value. You learn to understand what good kinky relationships look like and what bad kinky relationships look like. And like someone who like won't leave your house and lies to you and you know, you know, holds you hostage, more like, that's a bad kinky relationship. So I think that there's some socialization that happens here. Um, once you get involved in the kink community. Once you get involved in the kink community, I think – uh, so, I mean, she's seeing a therapist, which is good. She needs to work on, like, you know, sort of, like personal boundary setting and saying no, even when it's hard to say no. It's an excellent book called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker, which is an amazing book about recognizing bad people really early on uh, and their strategies and kind of going, oh, no, wait, you're, you're doing that kind of fucked up thing, so I'm not going to deal with you, uh, and, and saying it and getting away from them. Uh, so I think that's a great book. So it's it's something that this is a maturation and, and boundary setting process. And how do how does she come to view her kink as something that she's empowered to take charge of? How do you be an assertive, self uh, directing, uh, submissive? Um, it's, I kind of wonder if she's at all thought about playing, even not doing sex, but just playing with women, if that might kind of be an option for her to kind of revisit just some activity. I don't know what she's into, but uh, some activities in a way it's like, okay, this is not this is not going to hopefully maybe trigger me because this is a woman, not a man. Uh, people do non-sexual BDSM all the time. It's very frequent. If she only wants to play with men, then there's, there's places like, okay, if you, you know, you can – team up with a friend and only play where this person's around and you have people with you and you don't like go home and sleep with somebody and have this really intense romantic relationship. I mean, you kind of, kind of just make more space around it and make more rules and more fences around how you're going to do kink. And what about the distinctions between uh, being submissive in sex and being a submissive in the relationship? Because yeah. that can trip you up. Yeah. Particularly if, you know, you're concerned about, you know, winding up with another abuser Maybe she needs to compartmentalize the kink, play, and what she's like during sex from who she is and what she's like in the relationship. I think most people should do that anyway, uh, but that's just me. So it is a mistake a lot of newbies make where they think I'm the submissive, therefore – I'm not an equal in this relationship outside the bedroom. and Well, you've been spanking to this you know, fantasy for so long and it's all these stories, great stories, great fiction about people who were slaves in this mystical land and they live in these chains. It's like, you know what? That really doesn't happen in the real world. And I've met very few people, very few couples who could make a relationship that looked like that also be a loving and nurturing and fulfilling relationship for both people. That's rare. Most people operate kind of as equals, not in scene, and then they kind of go into the scene and they – they do that, and that's really normal and common and fine. So and she needs to, while she's thinking about empowering herself, the next relationship, the next man she's with, equals. Yeah, yeah. And she gives this guy the gift of her submission under her own terms 
for right. the duration that she sets in the bedroom. Right. And when it's over, it's over. You go back to being equals and he better be everything that he needs to be to be with you. I would, though, again, before we let you go, really want to encourage you to be proud of what you did. Yeah, I agree. Three months from him entering your life to him crawling out of your apartment with your boot on his butt. Seriously. He sounds like a really skillful you know, manipulator and abuser, too. So you turn that around real fast. Good for you. This episode is sponsored by the ultimate fetish store, ExtremeRestraints.com. To get 10% off their huge selection of fine sex toys, bondage gear, fucking machines, electro-sex, and so much more, just enter the coupon code PONY at checkout. Use that PONY coupon before Friday, February 18th, and they'll double your discount. In addition to the hottest fetish gear, Extreme Restraints also carry some of the best toys on the market. So use your pony coupon right now to save big on Tantus, Lalo, WeVibe, Wand Essentials, and more. Hurry on into ExtremeRestraints.com to get double the savings with your pony coupon. Hi, Dan. This is Emily from Alabama. I'm a 21-year-old straight girl. Um, My boyfriend and I just started dating like... um, a month or two ago. It's a really new thing, so, I mean, we're definitely still getting to know each other. Um, but we're, I mean, the sex is good. It would just be better if he could get hard is really the issue. Um, like, we'll be foreplay, and we'll be touching each other, you know, clothes on, um, working up to intercourse, and he is hard as a rock, and I just want him to suck me. And, um, I mean, I, I mean, you know, hard and, um, he loves being dominant. I love, you know, being sucked from behind. I just, um, that's what I want him to do. And then all of a sudden when, you know, it, you know, it's about the moment of truth and he's about to go inside me, he just gets soft and I can't explain it. Like he's hot and he obviously thinks that I'm hot. I just can't understand what the problem is. It's not that he can't get hard. He's just, like, afraid. And um, I, I just don't know what to do. I even gave him a blowjob not too long ago and um, just because he couldn't get hard enough to go inside me. And he, and he was still just kind of soft then. And I just, I've never encountered this before where a guy had this much trouble getting hard basically every single time um, we tried to suck. And I'm just, uh, I would really love some advice because this is way too soon to be having problems in the bed. This doesn't have much to do with kink and BDSM. He's dominant. They like little rough sex. Problem is, she's scaring his dick away. I, th- I think so. I think, honey, with all the best intentions, you are, you are frightening your boyfriend's dick a little bit. Because uh, we were talking just a minute ago. We were like, you know, maybe it's condoms. Maybe it's, you know, this or that. And I'm like, he needs a cock ring. I don't know. But men get nervous. Even domly dumb men can get a little nervous. When you're like, fuck me. Come on. Hello. Where's your dick? Bring me your dick. <laughs> yeah. It's a little uh, – I never, when I was 21, I didn't think that men, you know, got nervous either. But they do. And The dears. I, I know. I mean, maybe she's been – like, she's really young. She's been fucking like 16-year-old guys who – Often do get hard when the wind blows. And now she's maybe got a guy who's old enough to be a little nervous. And she's making him a little nervous. Yeah. She might be a little. So what's the answer? What do they do? Gag? I don't know. Uh... (laughs) For her? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he can get in his own head and enjoy his own erection? And sometimes there are people who you may like to be fucked hard. Yeah. But there are guys who their rhythm, their pace, what works for their dick, what keeps them hard isn't slamming. Right. Not every guy can like just jackhammer away and maintain an erection. True. Some guys prefer it slow, 
not necessarily sensuous, but like mm-hmm. a nice slow pumping rhythm is what like works for their dick. So you might want to talk about that with the boyfriend. She could get a strap on hers and fuck her with it. If she wants to get pounded. <laughs> I mean, you know, if that's all it takes. Then and there you go. There's also give you know if he's rock hard during foreplay. Yeah. Skip penetration. For okay. a while. Yeah. Yeah. Skip penetration. Masturbate with each other. Roll around. Do a little little bit of oral and have give him permission to like be hard and have orgasms without putting the full weight of the success or failure of the encounter on whether he can maintain an erection once he's fucking you. Right. And then you may be surprised that he can fuck you once you've given him permission to like – and said that the sex act is not a failure. If you don't fuck me, you may find that then he psychologically can make the leap to get it in you and leave it in you hard the whole time because you've given him permission to to fail. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Just take it off the table and then it will be psychologically that much easier. Yeah, I totally agree. Relax. We are in violent agreement. Next call. Hi, Dan. Um, so I am uh, one of those women who is bisexual, who rounded up to lesbian for many, many years. Um, we're talking about uh, sort of 12 years. And then found myself thinking about men, but only in a DS context. So it, on the BDSM uh, continuum, there is dominant and submissive sex. And I found myself only being interested in that kind of sex. Uh, and uh, being on the submissive side of that kind of sex. And although it seems like, um, I don't know, it would be, there'd be tons of men who'd be into that, uh, it's kind of a hard thing to find. Um, eventually, I did find somebody, um, my husband, <laughs> and uh, we got married. Uh, we have a, a mutual friend, and she and I have been friends for a really long time, and things moved very, very quickly. So within the space of a year, uh, we were married, and... Um, living together for the first time in a very sort of uh, male or bride kind of way. And once we got married and I got here, he really wasn't that into DS sex. And the idea of having vanilla sex, and it's become more of an I- more than just an idea, we've been having vanilla sex, is almost repulsive to me. It's It makes me feel very, very uncomfortable. And we've tried to talk about it, but I haven't been very good at it. Uh, add to that that he is a, um, he had been taking medication for depression and that kind of zapped his sex drive. He's since started to come off of the medication and I want to have the conversation about DSX. I, I want to explain to him that vanilla sex is repulsive to me without shredding and I, I need some help with that. Um, I need I need some language, I need some verbiage, I need a way to express to him that not only do we need to have more sex, it needs to be DSX or else I'm just not going to be fulfilled and, and happy and, and having a great sex life. So do you have any perspective on this rounding yourself up to lesbian when you're bi <laughs> thing? I think, you know, identities can change. That's what I'm going to say about that, Mr. Savage. (laughs) We both have the dirt on each other from years and years ago, so we're just going to move right right on. (laughs) Yeah. So, yes, I was was a lesbian, um, as, you know, all good people were, except for Dan, who was never a lesbian. Maybe in a past life. Or maybe so. Uh, so I get it, sort of. I mean, I like the whole like we got married really quickly. I'm a mail order bride. I'm like, well, that just sounds like kind of a bad idea in general. When you've been a lesbian and all of a sudden within the space of a year, you like move somewhere else and be someone's 
marry a man. Marry a man. Yeah, that just sounds like a bad idea. And kind of a classic lesbian thing to do, though, I will say, is like you know, <laughs> move somewhere that you don't marry someone you hardly know and then the sex goes bad. Yeah, that's – I think you are still having a lesbian relationship, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> with a man with a, a, a dick. So, I mean, you don't have to have an erect penis to have DS – Sex once again, you can you can sort of there's all kinds of things you can do that don't require an erect cock. He's on antidepressants. I'd be you know if he went on antidepressants after the relationship started, maybe it totally knifed his libido. There are new antidepressants coming out. There's one called Vibrid. You know, vibrant hybrid. I think is what they're going for with this lousy new drug name. It's V I I B R Y D, and it's supposedly this new antidepressant that's not going to kill your libido, so you cannot be sad and still want to fuck. <laughs> Because a lot of people go on antidepressants because they're sad, and then they're not sad anymore, except they're sad that they don't want to fuck anymore. And then they get sad and have to go off their antidepressants, and they want to fuck, but then they're sad. It's a big, (laughs) vicious circle. (laughs) So that might be an issue for him, the antidepressants that you identify. But you're in kind of a lousy position here to negotiate terms for your married sex life because you already married. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think if, if, if he says he has an interest in DSX at first and now it's gone away, but maybe it'll come back. So I don't think she needs to explain anything to him. I mean, I think she, I think it's fair to say I'd like to be fucking more. This whole thing of I, I vanilla sex being repulsive, I'm like, come on, you didn't think you were going to marry this guy and never, ever, ever down the echoing corridors of time have <laughs> vanilla sex with this guy. Come on, come on. So how about, you know, you ease up a little on that. Just pretend it's a really big clitoris. And you can also have vanilla sex and play a BDSM tape in your head. Totally. While you're having it. Yeah. Or even, you know, on TV. On TV. Uh, <laughs> but but if he's not meeting your needs, it depends on how explicitly the needs were laid out. If you went to him and said, I've been lesbian identified, I'm into men, but only during – I'm into men emotionally, but sexually it can only really click with men if there's DS. And he was like, yeah, down with that, totally down with that, totally into DS. And then married you and turned that off. You have a right to say, this isn't working for me Yeah, the way we're having sex now. We need to ramp it back up and we can go baby steps to get back there. But we need to get back there or I'm going to be sexually unfulfilled in this marriage. Right. Which will imperil this marriage. Right. With this over long distance mail order bride marriage, which sounds like a bad idea to me anyhow. But that's just me. You have an anti-long-distance mail-order bride bias, I think. Uh, I do, having known many lesbians who did that. <laughs> who moved across the country to be with somebody they barely oh, knew. Oh, absolutely. The online romance thing goes. They have two or three hot weekends, and I boom, I'm moving to Boston. I'm, I'm like, you just met this woman. No, no, it's the one. It's true love, and they're there. And you know, in six months, the whole thing's going tits up. Pardon the expression. Uh, and you know, Quad it's true. tits up. Yeah, well, yes, there's oh, lots yeah, of tits there's to go tits up. When a lesbian relationship goes tits up, it's like, like tits up squared. <laughs> Dan, I have a, a BDSM question for you, um, given your upcoming podcast with Mistress. Um, my boyfriend and I are both uh, STI-free, HIV-free, everything. Um, we are into BDSM. We are into, you know, things that could possibly cause, like, skin opening, slight cutting, the pinwheel thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I also have a cum fetish. And I was wondering, um, we were wondering, um, we assume that semen cum is sterile, and then if he were to, say, come on me and then sort of, like, finger his cum into any open wound on my skin, if that would be okay, given the fact that we're both, um, you know, STI-free and HIV 
negative, um, I understand that the risk would be much, much, you know, that would probably be a terrible idea uh, if he were HIV positive, which he is not. Um, but is semen just sort of like a sterile thing that you could like rub into sort of open, abrased skin slash wounds and have it be okay? Things that cause skin openings has to be the most roundabout way of saying cutting and blood play that I've ever heard in my life. Uh, Things that cause skin openings like gunshot wounds. Oh, now listen to you. Bowie knives. What are things that cause skin openings in a BDSM content? Piercings. Oh, piercings. Remember piercings? I remember piercings. Yeah, yeah. One time, a long, long time ago, I got Dan to let me stick one little tiny needle in like the skin of his arm and he took on like he was having a baby. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm afraid of needles. I understand. It's it's not so, so but I'm not. I, I like blood play um you know we do cuttings and piercings and you know, the pinwheel thing she's talking about i mean uh, kind of abrasion play openings in the skin and you know we in the BDSM community try to be you know we use gloves and we use fresh things to, you know sterile needles and sterile blades and stuff but the fact is you know we're not playing in a hospital room and there's all kinds of like germs bacteria whirling around in the air all of us all the time so we try to be clean uh but it's not you know this is not like surgery or something uh, if so what about mashing somebody's semen into an open wound? Safe or not safe? Well, I think there's a scale of this. I mean, <laughs> she has assured us many times that her boyfriend is, you know, HIV-free. Uh, I think that hepatitis might also be the other issue here, so you'd want to test for that, I'm sure. Um, you know, if everything she said is true about they have no, you know, STDs and – you know, I, I don't know. I hate. I'm not a doctor, so I mean, you might. I mean, you know, maybe next time you go see your gynecologist, you say, "So, doc, I was, you know, I had this cut on my arm from my, I fell off my bicycle, and my boyfriend just and accidentally is that going to cause me anything?" And see what your doctor says. I don't think he's going to say it'll cause a little discomfort because it's acidic and it'll burn. Yeah, but uh, that's about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to get you cranked up uh, over there, but kind of, whew, fluffy. Um, so, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I think it should be okay. I don't think it'll cause any, I mean, you won't get pregnant or anything. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's fine. I mean, you could, you know, it's not sterile. We don't like to call that sterile. It's definitely not sterile. There's too much stuff that could possibly be in there, even if it, under the best of circumstances, it could be described as sterile to just like generally let it out or float it out there that, oh, semen is sterile. Yeah, I don't want to be quoted as saying that. So I think it's probably okay. Um, I think you could conduct an excuse and act your doctor. But, but it's I gross. Think, Oh, no, don't say that. It's not gross. It is not gross. You just I, go I'm sorry. Needing your, somebody's um, semen into in, into a cut or it, an open wound. Or, pardon me. Needing someone's se- semen into uh, something that has just been caused to skin open <laughs> just Ooh. seems a little... Mr. And I say this is a fan mental. of semen generally. Yeah, I say you are kind of a, you know, like, I mean, okay, let's talk about anal sex that's really, like, pumping and you think you're not opening. That's right. There's a, a lot of blood vessels very close to the surface. It's why anal sex is the most efficient mode of transmission for the HIV. It's true. Uh, for the AIDS virus. Uh, and, and, you know, blood and abrasions are, are, are come with sex. Right. You, you know, all your erectile tissues, whether you have uh, a magically erectiling vulva, which you do if you I have do. a vulva, or, or a penis, or anuses, mouths, all your orify, there's blood vessels very close to the surface, and just normal, even vanilla sex can cause a little. Right. Um, pardon me. Can cause a little skin opening now and then. But they're just I'm just picturing like somebody <laughs> taking one of those knives and making a cutting and then yeah. ejaculating into it and like cramming like, like it in there. Like his initials or something, you know, and then like rubbing his cum in the initials. Yeah, it's kind of hot actually. No, no, it's not hot. <laughs> it's the opposite of hot. I want to see my scars. No, I, really I don't. Nice I don't. Scars. <laughs> 
Hi, Dan. This is Molly. I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. And I recently had a disagreement with a good friend of mine um, regarding cuckolding fetishes and I guess kinks in general. Um, my personal opinion is that someone who has a cuckolding fetish is a normal, potentially awesome person with a fairly common kink. Um, meanwhile, my friend thinks that people who are into this sort of thing um, are generally effed up in the head and should be harshly judged by society, which I think is really fucked up and not cool. Um, so the argument continued. Um, he ended up asking me, where do I draw the line? Do I draw it at people who want to, you know, have sex with cows or have sex with children or whatever? And I said that, no, that's totally irrelevant. Um, obviously, consent is the issue at hand here. So, you know, as long as everyone in question um, is a consenting adult, then what they do is their business. He agrees, sort of. He thinks that that should be what's enacted in law, um, that the law should view people who want to do whatever they want to do as long as they're adults, then that should be okay. But he says <clears throat> that um, society should exert kind of a social pressure on people to be what he calls normal, and that should keep us all, you know, aiming for psychological health in the bedroom. <laughs> I think that's just crazy. Um, I asked him if he could be friends with someone who was awesome in every possible way except they had a cuckolding fetish which again, to reiterate, I think is still fine. Um, and he said no, because that says something about who they are as a person. It says they're, you know, into feeling ashamed and that's not healthy, blah, 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 blah. So I then challenged him because I know he valued my friendship. And I said, you know, well, guess what? My masturbation scenarios sometimes border on rape fantasy. So how do you feel about that? Can we still be friends? And he said, of course we can still be friends because that's a fantasy that arises out of, like, an evolutionary reason, you know, because way back when we were cave people, um, it was advantageous for women to, you know, be into being hit over the head and raped just because that's how, you know, sex happened, which <laughs> is just bullshit. I think you have to call my friend out because he sure isn't listening to me and someone needs to tell him um, how much of an asshole he's being. What a fuckhead. That was really Wait, my first... the caller or the caller's friend? Uh, the caller's friend. No, the caller sounds like... I mean, I kind of think, honey, why are you even bothering with this guy? He's a Neanderthal. But your friend sounds like an idiot. Why, why would you say he's an idiot? Because, uh, yeah, first of all, the, you know, the, the rape fantasies are okay because they're, you know, an evolutionary thing that, you know, women... I'm like, no, fuck you, is what I think about that. It is not... <laughs> No, when you get to the bottom of most fantasies, most fetishes, uh, we live in a very stratified society. We're based, we're primates, uh, hierarchical societies, and most fantasies are about power and control. Even you know one that like on the outside you're like, well, it, it, I don't quite see it. Like pies, people who are into like pies, <laughs> having pies. He's making it in, the, in the face gesture here. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't really seem sexy to me. It, it doesn't seem sexy to me either. But it is all it is about humiliation. Is it about it is about power? It is about the person with the pie having the power, and the person who is pied having their power taken from them. So everything from like what seems just as ridiculous Three Stooges, Marx Brothers, Ringling Brothers fantasy to it's things that are more clearly power and control, like uh, cliche BDSM play, or not uh, cliche isn't the word. Like what uh, comes to traditional mind? Traditional classic. Thank you. Know, you. Yeah. Yeah. Is about power and control. So th that's your rape fantasy falls along that continuum. So mm -hmm. so do cuckolding fantasies. Right. So do all the legit consensual adult 
sex play kinks. Yeah. Which are all just cops and robbers for grown-ups with your pants off. Yeah. So, I mean, this guy is just freaked out because, you know, I would look at him and go, I mean, this is – and this is kind of a cliche too. Like you are terrified by the idea of any man not being in control, quote, unquote, and looking like he's in control. And so this threatens you because that means that you might not be in control. Uh, and so when, you know, when being raped is okay because that's – you know, you're in control of that sort of, you know, psychologically. But wow, you're really, really upset about the idea that any man anywhere might get off on not being in control. And I It is weird how he's latched into the cuckolding thing as the er example of being yeah. fucked in the head. Yeah, I don't think that it's always true that just because someone is so like anti whatever that thing is, it's because it, turn, it turns them on. But it does mean they spend a lot of time. I talking don't secretly about want it. someone to knead their semen into a cut they've just opened up in my skin. <laughs> Let me throw that out there. I'm not secretly turned on by that. <laughs> Damn it! I guess I'll cancel your birthday surprise then. Uh, so, but so yeah, and I'm like, it's like. But some pink, some pink, some people who are turned on by things that they don't want to be turned on process publicly their you know conflict through expressions of disgust. A lot of people that you meet who are early 20s who are just coming into their own sexually who go on and on. Whenever anyone goes on and on and on about how gross the gays are, I think, mm, mm. what are the odds? <laughs> and whenever I meet somebody who goes on and on and on about how disgusting and awful kinks are and they go on and on and on and on and on and on about it, they're the ones who, more so than my friends who are kinky, are constantly bringing up kink. Yeah. My friends who are like kinky and over it are like, that's part of their life and they don't need to talk about it all the time. It's the people who are like disgust, repulsed and drawn to it yeah, who are giving themselves away. Yeah. And you think, you know, I could just take you and show you, but I don't really want to bother. So <laughs> you just go on living in your head with that. But kinky people aren't any more fucked in the head than anybody else. Oh, God, no. God, no. Much less. But there are kinky people who are fucked in the head. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we range the population. There are assholes. There are, you know, idiots. There are crazy people. There's everybody. We, we got them all. But just like, just like you, we also have awesome people. And the same goes for the vanilla crowd. There are kinky – there are non-kinky, totally vanilla, fucked-in-the-head folks out there. Yeah. And they tend to run the world. Yeah. Oh, God. Hi, Dan. This is a 23-year-old straight female. I'm a big fan of yours and of the show's. And I'm calling because I just had a big heated discussion at the lunch table at my work um, with a bunch of my coworkers, who are my friends as well. And it was about open relationships and polyamory. And I'm just feeling frustrated because I guess I, I feel like I couldn't articulate myself well enough or something. And I mean, ultimately, I guess, fuck them. They don't understand how I feel. So it doesn't matter. I shouldn't try to make them. Right. But Basically, I just started dating a guy who's in an open relationship. I've never done that before. I've never been in one before. And I've also never been polyamorous before. Like, I've never tried any of these things. But I'm interested in them, and so I'm exploring. And I'm telling my friends about it because it's interesting, and we talk about our love lives. And, you know, none of them are like, no, you shouldn't do this. But they definitely have huge reservations, of course, because they have these very traditional sort of you know, monogamy is the only way ideas about um, about how relationships should be and how they function. And so, I don't know, I guess I just want to ask you, and it made me question again, why it is I'm doing this a little bit? I mean, I have it pretty clear, you know, I feel all the things that you talk about. I don't want one person to be my everything, and I don't want to be one person's everything. Um, I don't want to ask that of someone, um, nor do I want someone to ask that of me. And I said that, but 
they just kept going on and on about how it doesn't work and it doesn't work. And so I'm going to put you on the spot, Dan Savage, and I'm going to ask you, given all of your experience and wisdom, do you believe that polyamorous relationships can work? Do you believe they work? Do you, do you believe they're a good idea for human beings? I haven't read um, Sex at Dawn yet. It's on my shelf. Um, you read it. Maybe there's some insight there. Just, I just want to know what your opinion is, whether you believe it or not. Define work. Yeah. If by work you mean you're going to be with this person and the persons that person is with for 50 or 60 years until one or the other of you dies, then no relationships work. Now, monogamous relationships don't work. Lots of relationships beginning and end. But if you define work as can you get something out of it? Was it good for you? Is it good for them? Did, did you grow in this relationship? Do you look back on it with some fondness if it should end before your death or his death? And you, yeah, it can work. We have a more expansive definition of work. Yeah, I agree with that. But I, I would say polyamorous relationships can work and monogamous relationships can work and more traditionally clo- open relationships can work mm-hmm. where it's you know not many loves but like latitude. Yeah. They can all work. Yes. Will this relationship work? I can't tell you. Dan has this look on his face like he's going to say something. (laughs) I want to confess. I picked this call even though it's not specifically BDSM related because I feel like every time I say this when somebody asks me whether polyamorous relationships work when I go to colleges and talk, I always say I've been to a few poly weddings, but I've never been to a poly third anniversary party. Oh, see, now obviously I need to have a party. You do. Because I would spank you if I heard you say that. Uh, because and I always think of you when I say that because I know that you are in a successful long-term poly relationship. Uh, that is I, way past three years. Yeah. I have been with my, my partner that I live with, Max, for 11 years. 11 years. That's kind of crazy when I think about it. Double digits. Uh, I have been with my other partner, Monk, for six and a half, going on seven years now. We don't live together and he has an amazing wife that he's been married to for 23 years or some insane thing. Uh, so absolutely they can work and they can work long term if that's kind of what you want. Uh, they are, work is really the operative word when it comes to these things, though. It is going to take a lot of work uh, because you can't assume the things that you can assume in a monogamous relationship. So, so yes, I always need to have some kind of like 12th anniversary party at my house and invite <laughs> Dan and his sweetheart over. And then he can say – And we just passed our 16th. Yeah. anniversary and we've been open non-monogamous for 11 of those 16 years so i know that an open relationship the way we do it can work because it has worked right i mean i actually was home writing a column about like yeah this you can structure this any way you want to and and yeah it's it's going to take out there's a wide variance that can happen here so i, I could advise this particular caller better if i can knew more about her so you're welcome to email me uh and Where? at, uh, at mistress at gmail.com um, or through the stranger, uh, and it gave me more specifics, and I'll kind of help you if I can. But you know, I would really go light on the details with your friends because you're not going to get a lot of support from them. Unfortunately, all the of all the like sexual outlawry things I do, uh, polyamory is definitely the one I get the most. Um, there's there's the most like prejudice against. You can tell someone you're kinky, you can tell someone you're bi, and they can kind of go, oh, okay, okay, whatever. You mostly, but you tell them the polyamorous, they're like, forget it, no, it's not going to work. It never works. They will go off because. There's, just, there's a very deep because of their own fears and insecurities around the, you know the, uh, their own relationships being destabilized by their partner's desire to maybe fuck other people precisely 
So, I mean, I could say something like, yeah, we're not, we're not dating exclusively right now. I won't feel like I'm not ready to be exclusive with anybody. I don't want to be tied down. You kind of frame it that way to people, and you're probably going to get a lot less flack from them. And, you know, if you're with this guy for two years, mm-hmm. and you have a great time, and you get to know him and his friends and his partner, and you've emerged from that relationship uh, with a friendship, you know, the romance ends, you're no longer together that way. All of your friends who don't understand Polly or Open will say, oh, see, it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. That's you guys right. aren't together now anymore. You broke up. It didn't work. Told you so. <sighs> yeah. And that's that really limited definition of what a relationship that worked, a really pinched and narrow definition. If everybody had a great time and you emerge friends and you felt you know intimacy and connection and you learned and grow you learned and you grew in that relationship it fucking worked even if you outlived it right i agree with that i totally agree with that and yeah it's like you don't people don't like oh monogamy doesn't work because people get divorced it's like well we don't say that so yeah i agree (laughs) i say that all the time (laughs) well that's why we love you And we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. I love to come and be with you. We're going to have to get you in here more regularly because it's always a blast having you. www.mistressmatisse.com is where you can find Matisse's very excellent writing, her blog, find her way to her column, Control Tower, and her occasional podcasts. Yes, it's still occasional podcasts of my own. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. We're on a core to question or a comment for a future show. Please do. And me and the tech savvy at risk youth will be back at you next week. Another installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for coming in. <laughs>